I'm going to ask us, let's get our Bibles open to our table of contents. And we're going to find the book of Romans, which is the sixth book down. And whatever page that corresponds to in your Bible, you're going to be chapter one. I want you to get to chapter number eight. We're going to close out Romans chapter eight this morning. Chapter eight, arguably maybe the greatest chapter, at least in the book of Romans. And certainly uh, could argue maybe in the Bible. And what we're talking about this morning is we're talking about, in a way, we're talking about confidence. And I think we can all agree that confidence is really pretty important. And it's important in a lot of different ways. I, I, I trust that those of you who proposed to your eventual wife, you had confidence she would say yes. Or you would look really kind of silly and kind of foolish. I suspect that um, when you go to a job interview and you really want the job, that you, you want to be confident and, and be able to come across confidently that you are the person for the job. I know we all want a confident heart surgeon when that day comes, right? We don't want someone going in there, I'm just not sure. Certainly we don't want to sit in a dentist uh, chair where he's going, he's just like shaking, right? Because he's just nervous, right? We don't, we don't particularly want that. We certainly want our pilots that fly our planes when we're sitting in the back there. We want them to be confident, right? And certainly the students would say they want to go into a test and they want to take the test. They want to be confident that they know the material and will do well. And so confidence is really important across the board. But here's the reality about confidence. It leaks. You get a couple setbacks. You have a failure. Times are not going well. And confidence leaks. And then what do you do? What do you turn to? Who do you turn to? Well, this morning, we're, we're, we're going to talk about ratcheting up our confidence. And I'd like to call this morning, when I say ratchet up our confidence, I want to talk about our Godfidence. G-O-D, Godfidence. Are you impressed with that? Thank you. Okay. And, and, and this morning, because I wanted to, I was thinking, how can we remember this? Okay. So this morning, what we're going to talk about is what is the source of the confidence that you and I need that surpasses confidence? Okay. And then we're going to talk about how strong is our confidence. And then lastly, I'm going to give you a couple things to do this week that I hope that will help you to confidently do them. And I'm going to overuse this by the time it's all said and done. Okay. I hope that just kind of gets into your head. But with that being said, uh, we're in the book of Romans. And uh, let's understand what we have just previously read in the middle part of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a turning point in the book of Romans. It's, it's, a, it's a letter that Paul, a person just like you and me, although he's inspired by the Spirit of God, to write the book of Romans to a church in Rome, to, to a, a church that's being surrounded by the Roman Empire and, and Roman persecution. And if you recall, Paul in chapter 7 was talking about how he was struggling internally. He was saying, I don't do the things I want to do. In other words, he has these new desires, but he's struggling to do them. And then he has his old flesh, his old nature, that he doesn't want to do the things that it wants to do, and he finds himself doing them. And he's frustrated, and he expresses that frustration. We can all relate to that. And then he gets to chapter 8. And he starts chapter 8 with verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he begins to proceed to talk about the importance of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God, the supernatural power of God comes into your life, it, it gives you the power that you need to not succumb to the old sin nature. 
Not perfectly. That still awaits us. But more often than not. And if you recall, we kind of ended the middle part of chapter 8 where Paul was, was encouraging them. He talked about that there were groanings inside of them. They're, they're because we're living this, this, with this new nature in a, in a broken world, in a broken body, there's, there's conflict, there's struggle, and we feel that. And, and he, he likened it to groaning. And he talked about the suffering that comes with this, not only this tension inside, but as we live our lives for Jesus, there's a, there's a suffering to that. And suffering is one thing that can take your confidence and just kind of trash it. And so now he closes out this amazing chapter with some confidence. And that's where we're going to roll. Starting with verse 28, I want you to listen as we wade out, my friends, into some deep theological waters between now and next week. And just listen as I read. And I want you to listen for what is the source of our confidence and how strong is it. Okay? Starting with verse 28. Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. Now will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I hope you heard kind of, yeah, we are kind of wading out there a little bit. And, and what we're wading into is, has been a, a, a long um, debate and discussion between God's sovereignty and human free will. And, and the Bible speaks of both of them. And, and one is not at the expense of the other. They simultaneously exist. But how so? And that is a question that uh, certainly I've been wrestling with as I've been preparing for not just this week, but next week. And it's a, it's a conversation that I've had many times over. Maybe you have had as well. And there tends to be a spectrum. And at either end, you've got your human free will people at the end and you have your God's sovereignty people at the end. And it's easier to run to the ends than it is to really let the tension that exists in that both simultaneously are present in the Scripture. And I want to read to you a, a verse that I, I've said out loud uh, as, as I've memorized it over the years. But let me read to you a verse that kind of is something we have to consider in light of this, what, this tension that we're going to feel. And you're going to feel it this morning a little bit. And you're certainly going to feel it next week. 
But God says this. He says in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what God is saying, are there going to be things about him that we will not understand? And here's what we have to accept and have to acknowledge. If we want to follow Jesus, what we have to accept is that God is not a tame God. And I realize that you want to and I want to. We want to understand it all. And, and it's part of our, even our brokenness because we can control things we understand. Things we don't understand control us in a way. And we don't like that. But God is saying here in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, he says, you're going to see things, you are going to read things, you're going to try to understand things that you will not fully get your mind around because I cannot be tamed. And that is a tension we have to live with. And by faith, we, we attempt to live that. So, with that little qualifier, and, and when we get to the, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, we're going to look at, first we're going to look at the source of confidence. And it starts with an amazing promise. And then it goes to the, what's called this unbreakable chain of, of God's works. Five, uh, and then we'll look at five questions a little bit later um, that, that kind of test the strength of our confidence. But let's look at this amazing promise that many of you have heard many times over. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Where does our confidence come from? It comes from this amazing promise that God is working and continues to work out all things in your life and in my life for our good. We may not see it, we may not understand it, but this is a promise of God's word that he is in the midst and he's working out for our good. And the question is, what is our good? I know what you want it to be. I know what I want it to be. Our pleasure, our comfort, our enjoyment. That's what we want it to be. But God tells us what his good is. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what is our good? Our good ultimately certainly is our salvation and being with him eternally. But in the interim, what our good is, what, what, what Paul calls the purpose of God is to conform us, to shape us, our character and our lives into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is how God is, God doesn't bring about all of the destruction and damage and challenge and trial. But what he does is he is sovereign and he can take those things and he can use them and work them into your life in such a way if you cooperate. And that's a big if. Not shake your fist and, and, and turn on him. Not, not, not say, I'm done and walk away from him. But it's facing the wind and walking into it by faith, cooperating with and knowing that this promise is present, that God wants to use the challenging set of circumstances or situation you're in and he wants to use it for your good and your good being that he wants to shape you into the likeness of Christ. And that is what gives us the confidence, knowing that, that someone is behind what's going on. And, and, he's, and he's purposefully using it to bring about something good. Now, let me say this as well, and this is a hard thing. Is this good that this promise contains? Is it doesn't say that we'll always see it in this lifetime. 
And, and that's what we want in, in a way, right? When bad things are happening and we run to this promise, it's like, okay, I, I know God, you're, you're doing this for good in me, but I want to see it. Show it to me, right? I mean, there's, that's what we want. We know that, but that's not what the promise says. The promise says it will be good, used for our good. And sometimes that is in this lifetime. But we've been called as followers of Jesus to walk by faith and not by sight. And so when we want to see it and we want to understand it, whatever it is that we're facing, and we want to see that good, and we want to understand why this bad's in our lives, recognize that's natural. It's understandable. And God understands that. And there's nothing wrong with that understanding. But it's when you start to shake your fist. It's when you start to think about walking away. It's when you start to reconsider how loving God is. Now, now you've crossed the line. And now you're wanting to walk by sight and not by faith. And that, my friends, is not. The currency in God's economy will always be faith. It's a reasonable faith. It's not a pie in the sky. It's not intellectual suicide faith. It is a reasonable faith, but it is nonetheless faith. And so we, 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 we battle and we fight for that. To want to know. And I would even dare say when it says our good. The word our there just might possibly mean. That what you're facing and what you're enduring. The good that God wants to bring out of it. May not be for you entirely. You might see it in your eternity. When, when Paul talks about our glorified state. When Jesus comes back. And, and when we're rewarded for our faithfulness. Maybe you're going to see it then. Or maybe God's going to use it in the life of somebody else. An hour there doesn't mean individually, but it means corporately. Someone around you. Someone that needs to see your faithfulness in the midst of challenging times. This is also not a promise that when you become a follower of Jesus, that all of a sudden there's no more trial or challenge. Or that you get a smaller dose of it. In some cases you might get a greater dose of it. Let's not forget, who do we follow? We follow Jesus. And Jesus was, was the perfect person, not deserving of what he got. And because we follow him, the idea is that there is suffering and there is sacrificing in this life, and that's just inherent. And we talked about that last week. I also want to just, let me say the last thing is, and that the Bible does not say that, the, that bad things that you're facing are good. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's not saying, hey, paste a smile on your face and convince yourself that what you're going through is good. In other words, you like it and God likes it. No, the good that he's talking about is redeeming it, transforming it. You see, our enemy and our adversary, Satan, wants to use it to defeat us, to rob us of our joy and God of his glory. But God says, I'm going to turn the tables and I'm going to use it. To shape you and fashion you into the likeness of Christ. So it, it's important that we embrace this promise. But we embrace it and understand it for what it is. And Paul says all things. Think about that. There's a confidence to that. When you realize everything that's going on. Everything that's going on. All things that you're going through. The suffering that he talked about. Uh, the groanings that he talked about a, a few verses up. But you're knowing that someone is actually like, like just governing those. And that someone is purposeful and that someone is for you. And he's using it to bring about something greater in you. And then, of course, this last part of this promise is, you'll notice, it says, for those who love God. This promise is not for everyone. 
It's for those who love God. They love God for who he is and what he's done for them, not what they can get from him. You see, when you, when you want to love God for, to get something, you really are not loving God, you're loving yourself. This promise is reserved exclusively for those who love God for who he is and what he's already given them in Jesus. And it's with this promise that we can walk into the wind of suffering and struggle and trial with Godfidence. Now, that's the promise. Now what I want to look at is this unshakable chain of God's work that, that in verses 29 and 30. He connects, it, the, the, this is, he's talking about the same group of people, which is those who love God. And, and the work of God is connected here. And, and this is, you'll notice this because he says, he uses the word those. Those he foreknew. Those he predestined. So he's talking about not everybody. He's talking about a group of people. And who's that group of people? It's those who love God. Okay? And what is the first thing he says? He says, those who he foreknew, he also predestined. So he's talking about foreknowing. Now from one vantage point, from the God's sovereignty vantage point, to foreknow really means to forelove. Because Generally speaking, when the Bible says that God knows somebody, it doesn't mean uh, in an information kind of way. It means in a relational way. It means that he has set his love upon that person. There's a relationship. The other side of it is, from the human free will standpoint, is the idea that God foresees down the, heart, the corridor of history and can see the decisions that people make in the future, and that affects how he handles before the foundations of the world. And we'll have fun with that next week. I promise. And I put fun in quotes because it's not going to be fun for me. Okay? Because it, 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 it stretches you. Remember, God cannot be tamed. Okay? There's a tension we have to live with. But what's amazing in this first link of the chain is what, what Paul is saying is that God foreloves you. God foreknows you in the, sin, in the meaning that he foreloves you before you were you. He's saying before the, the foundations of the world, he talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, before the foundations of the world, Paul is saying, I foreknew you and I foreloved you. And if Paul, if Paul meant that he's looking down the corridor of history uh, and, and that this was, and he was looking for what people were going to do, or excuse me, what God was going to do, God looking down the corridor of history, and then he was going to act, he wouldn't use the word those. He's, he's implying a group. God can see everything. The fact that he sees a group, hence the word those, means that Paul is talking about a group of people. And in and, and, and this group, he carries through this chain all the way down the line. Okay? So, the first is that God foreloves you. That salvation is a work entirely of God's grace. It has nothing to do with anything good in you that God sees down the corridor of history and says, okay, because they have good in them and have chosen me, I'm now before the foundation of the world going to choose them. I, I don't believe that's how it plays out. But I realize this is in that tension that I speak of between free will and the sovereignty of God. What does God do to those that he foreknows? He says, and he also predestined there it is, cat's out of the back. All right, the, the word predestined. Now you throw me off. That is a big, colossal matzo ball right there. It's huge. How, how do you handle that thing, right? What does it mean to predestinate? 
Well, on the God's sovereignty side, what it's saying is that God chooses some people. And I realize that is awfully hard to understand. He chooses and he predestines them. He predetermines their purpose. And their purpose is going to be to be conformed in the image of Christ. And that God does this before the foundation of the world. So those that in that group that he foreknew, he also predestines. Now the human free will side of it says that no, what he's saying is that he's predestining, meaning that he is, those that he foreknew were those, the old saints of the old. And the ones that he, he, he knew in the Old Testament times, he's now bringing forward in the foreknowing part. And he's also predestined them to be conformed in the image of Christ. Again, we will discuss this more in uh, detail next week. But here's the, the spiritual point. I don't want us to get lost on the philosophical side of things. Okay? Because here's what we have in one sense that works against us. And it's our Western mindset. Modernity. When modernity hit and we, and we had to solve, all of a sudden rationalism became very important. And proving everything out became very, very important. And if we can't prove it, we can't understand it, then maybe it's not real. And then we, we bump into Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Where God says, you're not going to understand everything about me. Because I can't be tamed. And there's a bucket, you're just going to have to put this one in. And say, I, I don't understand it. Like I want to understand it. But you know what, God? You've given me enough understanding to live it out in a way that I can still honor you. And I can still obey the word of God. And so here we have this idea that God, those that he foreknew, those that he foreloved, okay? Before the foundation of the world, he also predetermines. He predetermines your purpose and my purpose, which is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he does that before you or you and I was myself, Again, we're building this confidence up, looking at that, that, that he, is, he governs everything. Everything in our lives, he governs it for our good. And before we were even us, he foreloved us. And then he predetermined this purpose for us to be conformed in the image of Christ. To be, to be like Jesus, to, to have the heart of Jesus, which means to live our lives selflessly and sacrificially and lovingly and faithfully and with an eternal perspective. The confidence to do that. What does he do in this chain? He is, verse, keep going. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. He's talking about there's going to be more coming after me. Okay? And then he picks it back up in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And we think called, this is, in other places, those who are called are referred to God's elect. Another buzzword. Beep, going off in your head. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I get that. Let's just pause our Western mindset for a moment. It's funny that uh, much of these things did not bother those who first heard them. I, I, and I, I want to say, our ability to think critically is very important. It doesn't scare God. And it's important that we think through things. Because the faith that we've been given, it is not a pie in the sky faith. We need traction. We need grip. And God gives that to us. But at some grip and God point, we have to let go and realize we will not fully tr- understand God. And so that's where faith comes in. But those that he foreknew, he predestined, and he called them. And in God's sovereignty, what that means is it's God's effectual calling. Through the, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is proclaimed, the Spirit of God ahead of time works in the life of those who are in this chain to accept, to receive, to embrace, to have affection and desire 
for this incredible message of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. They're drawn to it. And I know I can speak only of my own life, and that was I had zero interest in it. Zero. As a matter of fact, I hated God. And, and I don't just say that kind of just to say, I hated him. And for no reason of my own, no virtue of my own, I got, I got grabbed. I, I, I was like my attention was arrested to the gospel, to Jesus. And, and that's, that was the calling. That was God calling me. That he had foreloved and predestined for that calling to happen exactly in that dormitory. That's how it happened for me. I realize some of you, my wife is like others of you, where it wasn't a point in time, it was a process. And you can't pinpoint a date. But you all, all of a sudden you kind of go, I'm different. I, I, I see my affections, my desires for the things of God are different. I can't point a date, but I can just tell you it happened like maybe in this month or this six months or over these couple of years. It just it was slow. The calling, but it was there. And that is what happens to those who love God. We are called and God comes after us. We don't seek after him. He comes after us. Can you, can you see the confidence growing? Can, can, can you see how it can build if we really embrace and believe these truths? And from those he said, verse 30 that he called, he said he also justified them. We're just moving, moving down the chain here. To those that he called, to those who received the, the good news of Jesus Christ, now we become justified, which means we are made right by God in God's sight. And our sin, past, present, and future, is no longer counted against us. It's as if we never sinned at all. We receive the, the, the blessing and the benefit of Jesus' perfect life and not our own. I mean, come on. Can you buy that anywhere? Can you experience that anywhere? The, the guilt and shame gone because we've been justified? I don't know that you can. God made us right. He made us right with him and he gave us credit for Jesus' life. I mean, that's pretty doggone good. And then maybe the best link of the chain. To those that he justified, he also glorified and this is certainly a reference to the future glory that's coming. And yet it's written in the past tense. All these other things happen before the foundations of the world. Well, well in a way, what, what Paul is saying is that God is so certain. Because he foreloved you, because he predestined you, because he called you, because he justified you. He is certain because he's the one that keeps the chain together, my friends. That you're glorified it's already as good as done. And Jesus returns and, and we have glorified bodies. We, we have a, a new nature that cannot sin and our desires are not at all for sinful things or for the, the things of God. That day is out there. And Paul is saying, live your life, face the suffering and the struggle and the trial and the challenges with the confidence of this amazing promise. And then the work of God that happened before the foundations of the world. How can you not move forward confidently? How can I not? If we really believe, if we really set our mind on such things. Then he moves in verses 31 through 39. There are these questions that he asks rhetorically. 
And the purpose of these questions is to show the strength of the confidence that we can have. And it's stronger than what each question says could potentially derail you and me, where, where, where our confidence could leak, but not with confidence. And the first question that he asks, he says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He's talking about opposition. He's saying your confidence is strong enough that you can handle the opposition. And I'm curious, who opposes you? Do you have any opposition? Do you have a, a terrible boss? Nobody here does at High Point. <laughs> is there a disease that you're in that's in opposition to you? How about academia? Or a political party? Or maybe a spouse? And you just, man, you feel like it's coming from all angles. And Paul is saying, think, my friend, think. If this God that I just described to you with the promise and the work that he's done before the foundations of the world, think. Who can be against you? So opposition is not strong enough. God is for us. The opposition is not strong enough. What might derail our confidence? Verse 32 or verse 33. No, verse 32. Here we go. No, verse, where am I? Verse 32. Thank you. It says, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? You know what also can help, where we can leak is with scarcity. It's when we don't have what we think we need. We're not, we're not prepared we're not supplied. And because we don't feel like we have what we need, we begin to shrink back and cower. And the purpose for which God has done all these things begins to kind of fizzle. But Paul is saying, hey, time out. Use your head again. Think. If God made the investment that he made in you with, through Jesus Christ and gave up the thing that he values more than anything else, do you think he's going to leave you hanging on the easy stuff? We've got to think. These are, these, this promise of God, it is so that we can build our confidence and that God's going to provide us everything. Here's the qualifier. And there always is a qualifier when you see such superlative language. He's going to give you everything that you need and I need for the purpose that he predestined, which was to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to read that. God's going to give us everything for the job that I'm working on. Or God's going to give us everything for um, this that I want to do, the dream I have, or the place I want to go. Or, no, no, no. God's going to give you everything that you need for the purpose for which he foreloved you, predestined you, called you, justified you, and, glorify, and will glorify you. It's about God. It's not about us. And when we can hang on to that promise, there's confidence in the midst of that. And I don't know who is accusing you or, or, or I, I don't know where your, your scarcity you feel like it's coming from. But I just want you to understand, think of your value to him. What did he pay for you? I heard it kind of like this. If you really want to know what something's worth, and we all have stuff in our homes that we, possessions that we have that we cherish. And we, we, we when we put them, say we have to do the, the, the really hard thing, and we have to put them in a garage sale. And we always overprice them. 
Because they're really important to us. And people walk by and go, I'm never paying that much for that. Or if you have some cherished heirloom in your house and you just, you just want to know how much it's worth, stick it out on eBay. You're going to get a real good val- an idea of what it's worth. And you're going to find that it's more than likely it's not worth what you think it is. Why? Because you're so invested in it personally. God gave up his son for you and for me. Gave him up. Perfect son. So if you ever question your value and your worth and you wonder, is God going to provide for me? Oh, use your head and your confidence. Verse 33, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. How else can confidence leak? It's through accusation and condemnation. It's through the accusations of our peers, maybe even a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a bad boss, whatever it might be. It's the accusations that we're not good enough, we're not competent, we're not capable, we'll never amount to anything. It's those accusations and condemnations in which our confidence can leak. Maybe it's your own inner voice inside of you telling you, no one really cares about me. No one loves me. My friends, you're going to leak all over the place if you give in to the accusations and condemnations of other people. God has justified you. He has set his love upon you and he has said, here's how much you are worth to me. Don't seek the approval of others. You'll never find the value that I have shown in Jesus for you. Seek me. Set your mind on that. Do not let your confidence or the accusations and condemnation affect your confidence. Employ your confidence. Then verse 35 through 37, he says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's talking about all the bad things that can happen in life. He's saying all these bad things that can happen, all these trials and tough circumstances, yeah, they are, and, and, and in order for us to really understand the strength of our confidence, we need to see these things and, and, and encounter these things because they're coming. And they, if we just simply are, are relying on ourselves, we're going to leak. But if we believe what we've been told and what's been promised to us here, we have the Godman's, God's love, his sovereign choice for you and for me, that he loves us just because he loves us, not because of something good that we do, because if it was something good that we do, we would, that would become our idol. That would become the thing that we would seek to do as well as we could, perform as well as we could, because we wouldn't want to lose God's love. But it's not. God loves us because he loves us. And so we're able to withstand the, the, the accusations uh, and the condemnation. We're able to withstand the tough circumstances that we face. And notice what uh, Paul quotes Psalm 44. And, he, and he, he's referencing back to when Israel, God's chosen people, were being persecuted. And he, and he quotes Psalm 44. He says, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things we are more than victorious. What he's saying is the tough times that you're facing, the struggle that you're facing and enduring, you might think I'm losing. God doesn't love me because these things are happening to me. And, and Paul is saying that's not at all what's happening. God loves you from the very beginning before you were you. That chain is not broken. Because there's victory in sacrifice and service. 
You see, they stood around and, and the apostles watched Jesus being crucified and they thought, this is the guy we backed? They didn't understand what was happening. In the midst of suffering and sacrifice, something life-changing was happening. And in your little world and my little world, when we embrace suffering and sacrifice and tough circumstances with confidence, listen to this powerful promise in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Listen to what Paul says. Now I rejoice in my suffering what's lacking in Christ's affliction for his body that is the church Paul is saying to those who are not there to see the suffering and sacrifice of Christ that was profoundly impactful because he's ascended he's gone to be with God but followers of Christ who face the same Jesus said you're going to face the same suffering and sacrifice as me if you follow me and as they confidently face that people in a way and God used it in a way as if they were watching the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus and so Paul is saying I'm completing it not as if Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough but it's for those who weren't there to see it and, and that continues that completion continues it, those of you in here who are followers of Christ and myself as we confidently face the tough times and people see it our children our, our spouses our peers whatever it might be our co-workers God uses that in a powerful mystical just to notice and I'll, I'll just say this quickly and move on because I'm almost done I love the fact that he asks these questions because what it implies my friends is he is saying use your mind. You see, sometimes people want to think that the Christian faith is that we, we have to disengage our thinking. That is not it. We have a reasonable faith in which we require traction. There has to be things that make sense. But there's also a bucket that says, I'm not God, therefore I cannot fully understand the ways and means of God. But when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we'll get there, get there eventually, he says, therefore do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is so important that we're regularly renewing our mind for our confidence, so that we can face any and all that comes our way. And then he closes this amazing chapter down. And he says that our confidence is stronger than even our doubts that God really loves me. For I am persuaded that we'll have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when, when you're struggling, you really question, does God love me? And Paul goes through all of this, who suffered more than we ever have, more than likely and ever will. And he says, I'm not persuaded. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Our, our confidence is stronger than even the doubts of love that our enemy's gonna lob into our camp at every moment that he can, okay? So I hope you like the word confidence. I hope it sticks in your head. May I challenge you this week in this way to live confidently. May you do it this way. Don't give up in a challenging situation that you're in. Do not give up. Go back to these promises, go back to these questions, see the strength of confidence, understand its source, and just run that through your head. Think that often enough that you do not give up. Secondly is, would you try something outside of your comfort zone that Jesus did? Maybe it's share your faith with someone. Maybe it's help someone who's down and out. 
Maybe it's to reconcile a very difficult relationship or do the very best that you can. But step outside of your comfort zone. Quit living comfortably. Those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, we signed up for something that is not comfortable. And we get bombarded with the message all the time. Somehow we're trying to reinvent Christianity in a way that we can have the blessings of it and leave the sacrifices behind. And that is a counterfeit version of what Jesus taught and did. And so I challenge you, and as I challenge myself, to step outside of our comfort zone and to do something confidently that Jesus did. Okay, we do that together. God, thank you for your patience and your mercy with us. I pray you would take this teaching, God, and that you would not get us twisted around the axle on the, the, the parts that are really hard to understand. That comes next week, so help us there too. But God, may we live confidently for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.